0: Please turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse 12, and uh, I've titled this message, as I said earlier, The Law of the Leper. This is a very substantial passage, and uh, actually pivotal for the reader of the gospel of Luke. We've already witnessed Jesus' itinerant style of ministry, going town to town, preaching the kingdom to come. He focuses his priority on the preaching of God's Word. We've seen the preliminary calling of his disciples. We've seen the crowds increasingly now gather around him. Some, many are intrigued by his teaching, uh, yet many others have come for one primary reason, and that is to be healed. Just like today, ancient Israel. Back in in that day, it it was teeming with sick people. People were suffering. People were dying. We, we ourselves, we can't sit for 30 minutes watching TV without advertisements coming on or either for a pharmaceutical company or for some homeopathic remedy or some therapeutic uh, uh, ointment of some kind. It, it doesn't matter. Your age, your ethnicity, your religion is going to catch up with each and every one of us. We all feel it. I myself feel it, the aches setting in, the vision is failing. These are minor, folks, though, in comparison to the immense amount of pain and suffering that multitudes have to endure. And it occurs everywhere. It occurred in ancient Israel. So throngs of people now have approached Jesus for healing. Back in chapter 4, we saw in Capernaum. That after the teaching in the synagogue there, as Jesus taught and then went to Simon's house afterwards, uh, it said that the whole city came out to Jesus. The whole city. And uh, Luke's emphasis is that there was no type of sickness that Jesus couldn't heal. It was a variety that he healed. And as the people crowded Jesus, he healed every type of disease. Except one. There was one disease Jesus had not yet encountered in these crowds. It's because the persons affected by it were not permitted to be part of the crowds. They were prohibited from accessing other people and crowds. They weren't even permitted to enter a house of worship. So they were completely removed from the household of God. According to the Mosaic Law, they could not even live within the confines of a walled city. They had to dwell outside of the city, apart from society. They were entirely cut off. Who were these people? They were the lepers. The lepers. And because of the, the dreadfulness of their disease, lepers lepers were not permitted to come near anyone who also wasn't infected. They were required to keep a distance and warn passers-by who who might unwittingly approach. They were treated with contempt. Nobody came near them. One rabbi of the day even boasted in his writings, uh, saying how he would throw stones at them as they would approach to try and keep them off in the distance because they were so unclean. He wanted to keep them far away. Because it was incurable, Uh, leprosy, it wasn't merely a sentence of death. It was that, as the tissues slowly died and and ultimately organ failure would set in. But it wasn't merely a sentence of death, no worse. Leprosy was a sentence of isolation from society. It was viewed by religious leaders uh, to be a result of sin, became symbolic in the minds of Israel as separation from God. And folks, this, this is just a surface treatment. A surface understanding of, of everything that these lepers had to go through. Everything that, that they experienced in their culture. Everything that this man in Luke chapter 5 verse 12 experienced. The fact this leper uh, isn't even in lo- allowed in a wall, walled city has to indicate uh, this was a town. This was a smaller city, no walls. Lepers in these smaller towns were permitted to navigate the edges of the cities. As long as they were careful not to mingle or come in too close a proximity uh, with the residents. So this is the setting, reading from Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the cities, behold there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest, And make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about Jesus was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. As far as uh, the level of uncleanness goes under the Mosaic Law, the, the category of uncleanness, the only condition that was comparative to leprosy was death. Other sources of uncleanness, such as that caused by a woman's menstrual cycle or or caused by eating something that was prohibited by the law, some type of food, uh, those merely prescribed a period uh, of separation uh, before ceremonial restoration. There was a time period involved. Uh, There were two conditions that could not be cured. No time period would help them. Leprosy and death. Therefore, they were viewed culturally as being one and the same. If you've got leprosy, you're dead. You're as good as dead. There was only one reprieve that could happen in the case, and that is that you're suspected of having leprosy. You'll come across passages that speak about this. Uh, That occurs if there was a skin condition or, or a visible scale of infection of some type. That person would enter would enter, according to Leviticus chapter 13, a seven-day period of isolation to see what would happen. After the seven days, a priest would again inspect the spot on the skin under certain criteria. That priest could determine that it was eczema. In such a case, the individual would be declared clean. Let's clarify. That was not a situation of leprosy. That did not speak to leprosy. Uh, or the healing of a leper, of a leper because a person was never actually leprous in such a situation. The actual bacterial infection of leprosy, today it's known as Hansen's disease. It is still prevalent in parts of the world. In biblical times, that was completely incurable, folks. Completely incurable. Irreversible. Nothing you can do about it. And in verse 12 of our passage, Scripture here goes to great lengths. It takes great strides to assure the reader makes no mistakes. This man was covered with leprosy. Covered with it. His body was full of it. There's nothing he nor anyone else could do to alter his fate. We might say he was a dead man walking. Nothing could be done. Israelites realized there was no way to heal him. There was no way to restore him to the fellowship of God's people. Ever. And earlier this morning during our scripture reading from Leviticus 14, that lengthy, the 32 verse passage, it's a priestly ceremony. And it did not exist to cure the leper. The the ceremony there wasn't a cure for leprosy. It was a ceremony, uh, an elaborate ceremony, through which the priest at the temple could declare that a leper had been healed. Do you follow me? See the difference there? It's very important. Listen close. This is probably where Charles Daniel would say, Now listen closely. Now Listen. The ceremony contained in Leviticus 14 that we read earlier had never been executed in the promised land. Ever. Not including Moses, who we know had a hand that turned leprous momentarily as a sign from God. Beyond him, there were only two people in the history of Israel who had ever been cleansed of leprosy. Only two. You remember who those were? One was Miriam, Moses' sister. She was made leprous by God due to her murmuring against God. And Aaron, her brother, begged the Lord, saying, Oh, do not let her be like dead. Moses cried out, Oh, God, heal her, I pray. They're reaching out to God to do the healing. And seven days later, the Lord miraculously intervened and he healed Miriam. You can look at that at Numbers chapter 12, verse 10. That incident happened during the wanderings in the wilderness. That was not in the land. That was previous to entering Israel's uh, entering of the land. And there's only one other occurrence of a leper's healing. Who was that? Naaman. Right? Naaman, the Syrian general. He was from uh, the country of Aram, or Syria. It's the only other occurrence. And Naaman was instructed by Elijah to dip seven times in the Jordan, and he was miraculously cleansed, right? No ointment or anything that would do it. A miracle of God cleansed Naaman. He was a Gentile. He didn't go on to the priest. He got a couple loads of dirt, remember, and put it on his mules, and then carried it back to Syria with him. He returned home. And there's no record of anyone else ever being healed of leprosy. In fact, in chapter 4, we heard Jesus tell Nazareth. This was back in chapter 4, verse 27, a few weeks ago. There were many lepers in in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian, right? None of them were cleansed. Everyone in Israel knew, you couldn't cleanse a leper. You couldn't do it. He was as good as dead. And Scripture insists the the cleansing of a leper could occur in only one way, folks. It was by the miraculous intervention of God. That's the only way. This is why the king of Israel at the time of Elisha and Naaman, King Jehoram was his name. When he received a letter from Naaman's king, that Naaman was coming. Naaman had heard that he could be healed in Israel. Of course, that was referring to Elisha. But Naaman's coming, and the king of Syria sends a letter to King Jehoram saying, I'm sending my general to be healed. He says, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. And in 2 Kings 5, verse 7, King Jehoram, it says, He tore his clothes. And he said, This Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man, meaning the king of Syria, is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Jehoram says, Am I God? He knew only God could cleanse a leper and to make a man alive again. In the promised land, the priests had never executed the the complex instructions from Leviticus 14 at the temple. It had never been executed. When, When young new priests went to Israelite Bible college... They are going to grow up to be big priests. They'd read that. 32, the two, 32 verses that we read earlier, and they'd read that, and, and they'd think to themselves, how am I going to memorize all that stuff for my test questions? How am I going to pass that test? And the Hebrew professors probably said, well, don't worry about it. We're not going to test you on that section. You aren't going to use it. Nobody uses that. No one's ever been healed. And sadly, folks, that's how some seminaries today actually look at passages like Leviticus 14. They teach their students, but they say, don't worry about Leviticus 14. You're never going to have to use that. It's not going to apply to you. That's irrelevant because that's the Old Testament. It doesn't have anything to do with us who are now living in the New Testament. Who heard that before? Anyone ever heard that? I have. That's irrelevant. Doesn't apply to us, right? Wrong. Wrong answer. That exposes a problem that Jesus had when he had to rebuke the Pharisees. For in John 5, verse 39, he said, you search the Scriptures, and when he's speaking to them, he's talking about the law and the prophets at that time, right? He said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And Jesus said, it is these... That testify about me. That includes Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Law and the Prophets. All teach about Christ. So although Leviticus 14, it certainly held application for Israel. Don't get me wrong. There was application for them. provided them an illustration concerning the enormous difficulty to be restored to God. Apart from his miraculous intervention, very difficult. In fact, verse 32 even says, "This is the law of him in whom there is an infection of leprosy, whose means are limited for his cleansing. They're limited. Cleansing is limited." Well, that sends Unitarian universalism flying out right out the window, folks. Cleansing is limited. They could see it right there uh, in Leviticus 14 as they teach their kids. Look here, the, the cleansing's limited. That's the law of the leper. And the reason Leviticus 14 wasn't, was written, it, it wasn't really for practical usage by ancient Israel. They never used it. They never used it. It's practical interest, it's practical use. It's right here. Luke chapter 5. It's here so that the high priest could declare to Israel through an elaborate ceremony, an elongated ceremony, that God's cleansing had arrived. That's why Leviticus 14 is written. It's a provision in Leviticus is provided as a foreshadowing of the cleansing in Christ. This leper right here in this passage, Leviticus 14 is looking toward his encounter with Jesus. It's the primary reason that Leviticus 14 was written. It was written for the glory of Jesus Christ. Leper has been healed. A leper is supposed to go show himself to the priest. The priest is supposed to then take out Leviticus 14, which hadn't been executed for 1,500 years. He's supposed to grab it and look at it and blow the dust off it. And look, and, and it should have led him at the cleansing of a leper to say, say, there's something glorious going on in Israel. It should have led him to Christ. Christ. That priest should have led Israel to Christ. That's what should have happened. That's what should have happened. Did the leper ever go to the priest? I, I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. We'll come back to that in a minute. But look with me at verse 12. It says, When the leper saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Considering the leper's state, considering how desperate that leper surely was, I I suspect he and other lepers probably memorized Leviticus 14 by heart. If you were a leper, you'd want to know if the law provided any cleansing for you, right? If you were that desperate, if you were certain to die of that disease, you'd want to know, is there any hope in the law? Is there any hope for a leper? Any prospect for cleansing? And he would have had to have read verse 32 applying it to himself, saying, my means for cleansing? Limited. They're limited. And what... An incredible profession of faith in Christ. Seeing him at a distance, the leper said to himself, That man can remedy my uncleanness. And he said to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can restore me to fellowship with God's chosen people in Israel. I will be able to return to the synagogue. I'll be able to worship God with the other Israelites. Through the intervention of this man, Jesus, I can be restored to God and men. Through him, restoration has become available to this leper. It's an option that was not open to him apart from Jesus Christ no other way folks what a compelling picture of sin redemption before jesus the leper's experience was one of complete separation complete isolation from god but through christ there is now complete restoration to god and to god's people this leper he he held no under, misunderstanding about himself Uh, His experience taught him. The law taught him. And he knew his uncleanness separated him from the fellowship of God and God's people. And you and I must realize we need to recognize, because of our sin, previous to Christ, God deems us as lepers. We're lepers, previous to Christ. We're spiritually unclean. Habakkuk 1 verse 13. His eyes are too pure to approve evil, and he cannot look on wickedness with favor. Before Christ, we are immersed in sin. We are defiled by sin, and we're in desperate need of cleansing. Apart from Him, there's no hope. The holiness of God and our condition of separation from God. It's it's an illustration in Israel. Um, They picture this by, by the temple sacrifices. The ritualistic cleansing required of the high priest before once a year he would enter into the Holy of Holies. Once each year, only after meticulous cleansing, of the high priest who ended up being the priestly mediator for Israel. Only after cleansing meticulously, and and not without blood, Scripture says, once a year the high priest could step into the presence of God. Meet with Him in the innermost room of the temple on the Day of Atonement. See, folks, we don't just step into relationship with God by ourselves you don't stumble into it. God doesn't accept us in our natural, fallen, sinful, depraved state. We can't enter into a relationship with Him or His people in that way. You and I are lepers initially. We must be cleansed by Christ. That cleansing only comes through the atonement, through the blood of Jesus Christ in Calvary. Uh, Him being a qualified Mediator, Hebrews nine twenty two. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And there is one mediator between God and man, right? The man Christ Jesus. It's the only way. And and the blood sacrifice must be of a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb without defect. Folks, Jesus isn't our buddy. He's our friend. But folks, he's not just a buddy. He is the blood sacrifice. The one mediator between us and God. That's the only way. He's our high priest. Did the leper genuinely want to be healed physically? Sure he did. Of course he did. That's a horrible, a a dreadful disease. No doubt he wanted physical relief. But it wasn't enough to merely be healed, folks he needed to be cleansed. According to the law, he had to be cleansed. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the leper acknowledged he was ceremonially unclean, unfit to have a relationship with God. He was uh, unfit to be in relationship with God's people. By Mosaic law, he was forced to publicly announce his uncleanness to everyone passing by. Leviticus 13, verse 45, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean! He shall remain unclean, unclean! All of the days during which he has the infection, he is unclean. How many days is that? All of them. All of them. Unclean. He shall live alone, Leviticus says, chapter 13, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Folks, that leprosy is a picture of our sin. It's a picture of the effects of sin. The separation that sin causes uh, not only between God and us, but between us and God's people. Before we come into the church. Before we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the people of God, into His church. That's what this is a picture of. And, And not only did the leper remain unclean, but according to the law... Everything that the leper touched was unclean. He could share nothing with the community. Nothing. He couldn't share a cup. He couldn't share a table. Nobody would touch him. He was unclean. He desperately... Yeah, the, the illness is bad enough. He desperately wants to be made clean that's what he really wants he was separated from his family if he had them his wife and his children were not permitted to touch him he longed for relationships in which to worship God alongside God's people to have community of God's people I'll tell you one thing about this leper if Jesus would make him clean he'd never leave church again You can pretty much gauge a person's relationship with God by observing his or her relationship with God's people. Biblically, there's no restoration and fellowship with God apart from restoration and fellowship with God's people. The leper is bowing low before Jesus and he implores him. He begged him. Are you willing to make me clean? What's the answer to that question? It's given in verse 13. Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And the leprosy immediately left him. No remaining trace of leprosy. Ceremonially, everything a leper touched became unclean before. With Jesus, the exact opposite occurs. What Jesus touches becomes clean. Jesus is the source of cleansing. Remember, the source is limited. Jesus is the source. But after Jesus touching him, the cleansing is immediate. Since this man lives under the law, Jesus commands him to obey the law. Leviticus 14. And look at Luke chapter 5, verse 14. It says, Jesus ordered him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. As a testimony to the priests. Jesus explains this ordinance in Leviticus 14. It's provided to be a testimony to the priests so that they will recognize that something extraordinary is going on in Israel. Someone extraordinary has visited Israel. And in his jubilance, I can't imagine what that would be like. To be Fully restored, I might be able to imagine it a little bit. To be restored and cleansed by Jesus. Do you remember that? Do you remember the day that you were cleansed? You were made clean? Yeah, this man, he's jubilant about the physical healing as well. Uh, He disobeys. Mark 1 verse 45 tells us, He went out and He began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around. He's a blabbermouth. To such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter into a city. But He stayed out in the unpopulated areas, Mark writes, and they were coming to Him from everywhere. Growing in popularity, right? Luke 5, verse 15. The news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. His popularity now is booming. It's actually began to interfere with his freedom to travel into cities, so, so he goes to the rural areas. He's going now away from the populated areas. What happens? People follow him into the unpopulated areas. He's drawing larger crowds and more attention, and his notoriety is going to soon ignite a conflict. It's going to be a conflict with a religious establishment. Everywhere he goes, crowds are forming around him. In fact, next Sunday, in our passage from next Sunday, it's going to describe the beginning of those conflicts. The start of just such a conflict. Uh, that will be the healing of the paralytic next week. And I wonder if some of those Pharisees and, and teachers of the law that are spoken about there might have come in part from the leper going to them. I don't know. I'm not certain. But some of those, some of those Pharisees and the scribes in verse 17 we're going to look at, it says they originate from Jerusalem. So, word continues to spread. Spreads through this leper, spreads everywhere. And the leper departs fully restored. He can now go to the temple. He can now enter the synagogues for worship. He can enjoy fellowship with God's people through the mediation, the intervention of Christ. And that's the point of this passage today. The leper is an illustration of the detriments and the separation that we have due to our sin and the restoration that we get through Christ in cleansing. Passage isn't given to evaluate the man's spiritual state. No spiritual background is given to him. Uh, we can't conclude he is any greater sinner than was righteous Job. We don't know. We can only conclude he is in a situation where nobody can help except God. God. That's it. We're then to ask of the passage, who is it that helps him? That's what we're to look at. The answer? God. Jesus steps in. Jesus is God. Folks, that is the the right approach to this passage. If you are in a liberal church, um, by comparison... Sin and separation isn't the problem in this passage as they would look at it. Sin isn't ultimately the problem as they'd look at it. I grew up in such a tradition. The man's condition becomes the overriding problem. That's what they focus upon. And uh, the social gospel would assert, quite dogmatically by the way, they would assert our responsibility is merely to distribute antibiotics today and heal as Jesus did. That would be the interpretation you would get from a liberal slant. And and in doing that, and in, in being good and by helping to heal people, God will accept us who follow Jesus uh, as we follow his example. And he'll accept us because we're all good people. That's the social gospel. That's quite a different gospel than the one that Paul preached. Christians do set out to heal, obviously, but sin is the problem that we confront. It's not the temporary physical ailment or condition that we are most concerned about. It's about the sin condition that we're concerned about. And and we'll actually see that that confrontation that happens between the liberal social gospel and the conservative true gospel of Christ, that confrontation is over the forgiveness of sins. Do we have to be forgiven our sins? It's interesting, the next passage that we're going to look at that draws all the confrontation between Christ and the Pharisees is that he asserts that he has the ability to forgive sins. That's where the conflict comes. The point is, the leper can only be cleansed and reconciled through a miraculous intervention by God himself. It's the only way. And before conversion, we are all spiritual lepers. In our natural, unregenerate state before Christ, we are unclean, unclean. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who seeks for God, not even one. There's only one way for a spiritual leper to be cleansed. It's to humbly bow before Christ and profess, profess, Lord, I'm unclean. I'm unclean, unclean. But if you're willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. Before we go, there's something in this passage that needs to be clarified because someone could have mistaken it. And they might lose heart. And by observing just just this passage without the rest of the Bible, the context of the passage, without insourcing other scripture, without cross-referencing, a person could question and wonder whether Christ is willing. As the leper did, if you're willing, and it'd be tragic for someone here to recognize his or her sin to realize it, bow before Jesus and, and be led to question as the man in our story, is Jesus willing? There are sects out there. There are groups out there uh, who use this isolated verse to suggest you might come to Jesus and He might not be willing. That's got to be corrected. There are people out there who had a past, anybody? Don't raise your hands. Who hasn't had a past? And that past becomes an emotional barrier to believing that God would ever be willing to save you. Anyone here thinking that? You, this passage is for you today. Some have been told that God would never want you. If you've been told that, listen up. Your past might include all kinds of things. There might be drugs. There might be prostitution. There might be other uh, immoralities. Like the Apostle Paul, you might have participated in a murder. Sometimes there's abuse, whatever it might be, folks. And some might view themselves as such a leper. You might view yourself as such a leper, you you doubt there's any hope that Jesus would want to cleanse you. If that describes you today, listen closely. For anyone who comes and bows before Christ, he's always willing if you will come and submit yourself to him. Scripture does not leave you to wonder, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but has everlasting life. Whosoever. Anyone who comes. And we know that Jesus is always willing because those who genuinely bow to Him and call Him Lord, the reason they're doing so, they've already been drawn to Him by the Father. There's no scenario of a contrite repentant sinner coming and then offering themselves to Jesus and him turning them away the very fact that they come to Jesus is evidence that they're already chosen by the father cuz Jesus says in John 6:44 no one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws him and then this promise and i will raise him up on the last day And in our natural state, we're spiritually dead, just as this leper is reckoned as dead. We too, apart from the miraculous intervention of God, are good as dead. We're dead. We're the walking dead, previous to Christ, before conversion. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. But Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, He made us alive. That's God's miraculous intervention. Repentance, Acts 11.18, it's a gift granted by God. The ability and desire to trust Jesus or have faith in Him is a gift given by the Father, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. And for the leper coming to Jesus, John six verse thirty seven says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly by no means cast away. I will not cast out. So this is an effectual calling as God draws. The Father gives unto me. They will come to me. I will not cast them away. How better promise do you need? The reason this leper came to Jesus is because the Father was drawing him to Jesus. Jesus promises he will not cast that leper away. You know, the leper didn't understand all this. He didn't understand all that. He, he, he went, he didn't know, is there any chance that he could be rejected by Jesus? He didn't know, even though the answer is no. But if you believe in Jesus, and that he has the ability to save you, it's because God is already calling you. He's given you a, a faith as a free gift, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift it's a gift of God. So many don't quite understand that. You can't just pull faith out of, the, out of the air, folks. It has an origin. Scripture gives that origin to God. And the Holy Spirit regenerates yours and my stubborn hearts that were previously unwilling. And He makes us willing. John 10, verse 26, Jesus told the unbelieving Jews, You do not believe Because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Then he says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So it's an effectual calling. It is a secure calling. Jesus won't refuse those who come to Him. Your emotions might feel different. You might say, you know, I don't, I don't really feel that. I feel differently. And your emotions might, might think of your history as like, I don't feel that God would want me. But that's not what the Bible says. Your experience may suggest that your faith is something you've conjured up or you've pulled out of the air. But folks, your experience doesn't invalidate the Word of God. The Word of God stands. And He's he's always faithful. Folks, your emotions and experiences, they're not a place to base your faith on, your salvation on. Um, Thankfully, Christians realize our emotions are fleeting. They're unreliable. They constantly change. But the Word of God never changes. Our experiences do not invalidate the Word of God. You need to base your salvation on the Word of God. I'm going to finish up. With all that said, folks, consider this. Have you at some point in your life reckoned yourself a leper? That your sin has separated you from a holy and righteous God? A sinner condemned unclean? Have you realized you're powerless to do anything about your situation? That you need someone to intervene in your life, a remedy uh, to your state that you're in? Do you recognize that Jesus Christ is holy? that he is the son of God who takes away the sin of the world do you need to be spared from suffering for your sins in hell if so if you know that Jesus is willing if you're willing to place your faith in him and confess him as your Lord and Savior by the power and mercies of God Jesus will not leave you a leper